Hi everyone and welcome back to the On Deck Podcast. For our sixth episode today, we are very lucky to be joined by Tony Budding from the Drone Racing League. Tony, who is an early employee of the league as its director of media, chatted with us about the league, its conception, its drivers, the drones, and what it's like to be part of creating a brand new sport. The Drone Racing League is picking up steam and has been called the sport of the future. Here's Will Flaherty from SeatGeek chatting with Tony about its success. Welcome to the latest edition of the On Deck podcast. We are fortunate to have Tony Budding, the director of media at the Drone Racing League here with us today. Thanks for, for coming, Tony. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, if you can give our listeners just a sense of, of what is the Drone Racing League? The Drone Racing League is the a professional drone racing circuit where we have uh, racing events around the country, around the world, and test for the best pilots, the best FPV pilots. So FPV drone racing, this is first person view. So the pilots control the drones using a camera on the drone that sends a video signal back to goggles that the pilots are wearing. So they're flying as if they're on the drone. So this is a whole new thing that's come out in the last couple years and has really just taken off recently. But the ability to fly around as the drone makes this an incredibly unique sport. And so just to, to get a sense of how the drones that, that you guys use are different from your kind of commercial drone that you see someone flying around in a park, um, you know, you, you mentioned the goggle interface. How is it controlled? Is it controlled through a joystick, through some other input? Um, how, how do these, these, uh, these pilots uh, kind of pilot their craft? Sure. So if you look at a commercial drone that you might get, and most of them are uh, available primarily for uh, cinematography. Right, video stable. They're uh, they're kind of like a minivan. You want them to go very predictably, very calmly. They, you want them to be able to hover and go where you want them. Uh, a lot of them have GPS built in, so you can't go in certain places. So that they're they're sort of fixing things for you. Our drones are custom built for racing, which means there's no additional stability built in. Uh, they are incredibly fast. They're very difficult to fly. Uh, the controller that they use is, um, it's got two joysticks uh, and, and between the two. So a drone, uh, unlike a car, goes forward and backwards and up and down, but it also rolls, it has pitch, and it has yaw, these three different turns on an axis. And so the pilot needs to control all of those in real time. And with a racing drone, there's no built-in stability. There's no built-in programming that's going to help you navigate that so the skill set required to even be a basic flight in one of these drones is very high and to be able to to race at the top level through these courses is uh, is extraordinary so yeah so how did this come about how did folks start kind of experimenting with with these these drone uh these kind of higher end racing drones and then you know how did they get to the point where they said hey listen let's make a sport out of this well, look, if you look at the human history of humanity, anything that people, men particularly, can move, they will race. They will find a way to race. So the RF you know, community has been around for a long time. There's been lots of different vehicles that, that the RF community has done. Uh, I don't know the exact origin of how FPV came about first, but they use a security camera that transmits a signal back and then the controller goes out. So it's a two-way thing. And... Uh, just think about it, uh, you know, you're, the line of sight is the alternative, which is what most RF is. And so you see your vehicle, boat, 
plane, helicopter, flying, and you control it. But you're limited to where you can see. Whereas now you've got the camera on the drone. You can fly in among trees, in a windows of abandoned buildings. And they started flying around. And then guys started getting together. And of course, as soon as you put boys together, they're going to start competing. Yeah, and so then specifically the entity of, of, of Drone Racing League. Yeah. Um, were the folks that started it pilots themselves? Kind of what sparked the interest to, to kind of you know, kind of go deeper there. For sure. So the, the, the founding concept does come from, from pilots, from, from F, the FPV community. Uh, the director of products is a guy named Ryan Gurry, and he is uh, uh, one of these guys addicted to speed and his whole, you know, his whole history of life and motorcycles and the like. And uh, the thrill of putting on the goggles and being able to fly around is very, feels very real. Even though you know your feet are on the ground, you don't feel like your feet are on the ground. And so it is just this uh, out-of-body experience type thing. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things that has come about from me particularly, who's, you know, this is my third professional sport helping to create. Everybody you talk to and you talk about drone racing and this and you explain a little bit, they're like, that's a great idea. So the idea that this should be a thing is almost universally accepted. The reality is uh, making drone racing a legitimate sport is incredibly complicated, incredibly difficult. The technology that I've been describing, most of it that's available commercially is a hobbyist level uh, technology. And so if you're by yourself in a field, it will work beautifully. If you have six buddies all trying to fly in the same space, this hobbyist technology interferes with each other. You lose video, or you get somebody else's video, or the controllers black out, or you get behind something and you can't see anymore and the, and the drone drops out of the sky. Uh, so we have had to bring in a number of different uh, specialists, technology, sport, uh, pilot, uh, engineers, etc., because the ecosystem of technology and media and piloting is so interconnected and so complex that it's been, uh, it's an enormous challenge to make this a professional sport as opposed to a couple guys getting around and, hey, look, you know, if your drone falls out of the sky, oh well, right? We're just, oh well. Whereas we need to have something predictable where you can actually have racing, where you can truly have these drones competing, these pilots on fair ground, on equal ground, and it's not just someone got lucky or unlucky. Right, right. So in that uh, in that sense, the so the, all the drones are standardized, right? So it's kind of like a stock car where yep. they're they're you're using kind of similar technology and there are restrictions as to what you can do. Um, walk us through a little bit more of the setup. So what does a course look like? Sure. Um, what does a what does a you know drone racing league race look like? Where is it held? Yep. Um, what's kind of the setting of this and the stage? Sure. Uh, well, first off. Um, we do something that nobody else does, at least that we've never never heard of. We build all the drones. So it, it's not like stock car racing in the sense of uh, you have specs that you have to build your drone for. Uh, it's more like IROC. I don't know how well you know the history of racing, mm -hmm. but uh, Chevy used to provide these uh, these uh, Corvettes within one horsepower of each other. And all the, so there was a driver's race because they were all driving the same vehicle, basically. That's kind of what we're doing. Um, all the drones are equal performing. We do that for several reasons. One, uh, we need to make sure that they work. 
Secondly, we want to make sure that they perform equally so it's a test of piloting as opposed to test to who's just got the faster drone. Uh, third, we design them to be seen easily. There's over 100 LEDs on every drone and every pilot gets a color for that event, for that race. And so when you see the purple drone, you know it's Zumos if we're in Miami. And uh, so you have, uh, so, so we have to create these, uh, sorry, and there's one more component, which is the RF technology. So we have proprietary RF technology, which allows us to fly courses they go places that no, the existing hobbyist technologies won't allow. So we can race more drones in more distance in further places. We can, we can go through t uh, tunnels and windows and buildings and go into other rooms which no other technology currently existing allows. So we need a drone that conforms to all that, that works for all these things, that's easy to see on the camera, that looks good on camera. That's, that's fast, high performance, and that, that plays well. So we find abandoned buildings primarily, and uh, or large buildings that uh, allow for a drone race. We design a course, and uh, if you look at the, the, the courses, the course design is something we spend a lot of time doing. Uh, my favorite event in track and field is the 400 meter race. Okay. It's the simplest possible thing. One lap on an oval track. Anybody can complete it. But the question is not can you complete it? No one's worried at the beginning of the Olympics is someone going to finish? They're going to finish. This question is how fast? So we design our courses in a way that aren't necessarily the hardest possible course you could create. It's more of what's the best course for racing. And so each, we, we try to match the course design, the course elements with the facility, wherever we are, along with trying to create places for great racing. We really like to have different sections of the course. One might be a little tighter and slower and more precise and the other might be much more open for more high-speed transactions, more, more give and take, and, and you're testing pilots in different ways through different sections of the course. That's fantastic, and, and um, you, you mentioned inside of, of warehouses, I, uh, I'm not sure are there regulatory issues that you have to deal with, and can, can you race these drones everywhere, or are there only certain places that you can or can't? Um, so th this is a new arena for the FAA, and they are, actively evaluating what can happen. Uh, most drone racing actually takes place outside in fields. Um, there's a couple reasons why we like being indoors. Um, one is it's more interesting. You're flying through uh, inherent obstacles in the building and you're traveling from one section of the building to another which becomes very interesting. Uh, one of the amazing things about drone racing especially FPV drone racing, is the ability to put a camera on the drone and capture in high definition, beautiful imagery, this journey. And so, you know, everyone's first experience of this was really in Star Wars and the Death Star journey. And uh, I think everybody at that moment was like, I want to I want to be able to fly like that. And now it's a reality. Now, you can learn how to do it. You can build your own drones and you can take it. It's, a, it's not easy. It's not uh, 
it, it takes a lot of commitment and a lot of skill to get to the level of where you can do the kind of flying that, that our fans are getting to experience vicariously through our sport. Uh, but this, uh, you know, but in terms of the facility itself, I like being indoors. It, it's more interesting in my opinion. You get to fly in spaces that you could walk, but you get to see it in different ways. Um, we had a, an event at an abandoned mall and there's a canyon in the middle of it where you can go from the, you, know, you normally you'd have to take an escalator from one floor to another and here you just fly up and down the different floors and you go you know fly over an escalator you know fly off the canyon down into the next level so you can do things that you would have you know everyone sort of looked over a balcony and said to themselves oh I, what you know I wish I could fly there instead of you know die so it sounds like a lot of the elements um, in designing the the drones, designing the courses, it's really uh, designed to to develop a really beautiful production, a TV visual production. So, um, is is that the goal that this is going to be a sport that's really kind of content forward, content first, instead of say um, one where you're going to draw fans live in person? It's a great question. Uh, we. There's no doubt that this plays beautifully on screen. Uh, the blend of third-person cameras where you're watching the drones like you would traditional racing, uh, on camera, uh, on drone cameras where you get to feel like you're, you're flying, uh, blend that in with the stories of the pilots, the drama, the competition, why they're there, how they got there, the sacrifices, the achievements, all of that. This is definitely a media property. It, is, it, it, it looks great on TV, it, um, it plays great on TV. There's no doubt that uh, it has the potential to be a major sport. When the technology, so how do you experience, if, if you've ever been to a Formula One race, you're sitting in one part of the track. Cars come by, they scream past you, and then you don't see them again until they come around the next lap. Uh, there's obviously a lot of mobile devices and, and, and technology that you can use to enjoy the experience of car racing. In an oval, you might be positioned where you could see most of the track, but really in person, you're experiencing it locally. We would have the same challenges with a large audience in any kind of drone race, right? The drones are small, they're fast, and they go far. And so any kind of live experience is gonna have that limitation of directly where the drones go. Now, we also are uh, planning on having, uh, we, we, ha we capture the, the racing live, we have TVs where you can see the action going. When we transition from or in start to include a major live audience as an experience, I think it's going to be a blend of the growth of the sport, of growth of awareness, and then the sort of continued development of technology literally the capability of the drones today is unthinkable compared to even last year. The technology around this space is evolving very, very fast. So how do you enjoy a drone race? Well, maybe what happens is everybody who shows up wears, brings a pair of goggles or has one of these VR headsets and we're streaming live into it. You can turn and follow the drones in your, in your goggles or take them off, see them go by, whatever the case is. You've, I don't think we're there today. We're not there today. The technology's not there, the audiences aren't there. However, it's easy to picture that this is coming. 
have you experimented with kind of VR piping kind of the you know footage of a drone race into a headset? I know it may not be like you said right there for prime time, but um, if you have, what does it look like? Uh, we have uh, experimented with it, not live, but in uh, in post. And uh, I have to say, I was skeptical that it would be drastically different. It is, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, it, it's, you know, you can put cameras on the course in a place that you couldn't put a person. It would not be safe. And they just fly right by you, and you turn your head, and you can see them coming, and then they just go right by, and you, you know, you whip your head and follow them, and it's it's incredible. It, I was skeptical, and I'm now. This is very likely going to be a very big part of the drone racing future. That's fantastic. Um, so tell us a bit more about your fans. Who are the folks that have flocked to Drone Racing League out of the gate? I'm sure there's a core audience of the enthusiasts, the people that, that do this themselves, but you know, what's the profile of those beyond that, that core group? Sure. Well, the obvious fit is the young males, and a huge percent of our, of our audience is that, that, that young male right now. We also have, in my mind, just scratched the surface of our content. And so um, the you would expect the young males to be flocking to this, to be seeing it, to be sharing it with their friends. And this is an obvious thing. It's, it's part gaming, it's part technology, it's part racing, all things that, that young men have been drawn to forever. Uh, I don't feel like that is the limitation of our audience. We also have, uh, from a business standpoint, we are, this is a whole new sport, it's a whole new ecosystem. There's so many different layers, uh, e-gaming, uh, technology, virtual, uh, video content, TV, uh, digital, all these things are, are interconnected. And we are, the, 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 like I said before, the obvious interest that drone racing is gonna be a thing means we are getting a ton of inbound interest. It's really kind of a fun position to be in. Uh, so we are in extensive negotiations with a lot of different partners and we're really looking for distribution partners, sponsorships, etc., cetera, who, um, who fit, who uh, understand the opportunity of being part of something brand new and we can launch forward and there's uh, synergies associated with that. We're very close to announcing several of these um, relationships and part of that is going to be a massive expansion in the information, the content that the world gets of drone racing. So we are just scratching the surface so far. And so when we talk about who's our audience, well our audience has been the obvious people who have you know been in this community or been around it, you know, the Reddit, the, the, uh, the, the gaming, Twitch, all of that you know, has been the, the immediate draw. We are very actively, the storytelling, the, uh, the relevance of, um, this is the American dream in a lot of ways. Uh, find a new technology, find a way to make it interesting and engaging, find a way to make it mainstream. And uh, I think that the audience that we see today and the audience we see in six months I think it's going to be this, the same group plus a lot of other groups, which I think just becomes mainstream. It was interesting there, you mentioned kind of some of the esports there. 
if you think about the some of the areas over, of overlap, uh, really, drone racing league seems to sit in this spot, kind of between your traditional, you know, uh, you know, car racing and other racing sports, cycling racing, etc., and then esports. It has elements of both. So, I guess when you look at those two sides, is there any one that you look at for kind of more inspiration? I think it, are there. You, you mentioned a lot of the influences from the the uh, you know car and automotive racing side of things. Uh, what about the esports side? What are the, some of the things you draw from from them that you really respect and as how they've they've, they've built up that sport and that uh, that that offering? Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, one of the things that blew my mind when I first started looking at the e-gaming space is how long people watch e-gaming. Uh, the average user I, on Twitch is something like two hours of watching other people play video games. And, and if you look at mainstream media and, the, and the, the thinking around what the web is doing is everyone's like short, 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 short. And uh, you know, there's consumption through social media and the like. And yet here in e-gaming, we have uh, these young people spending hours watching a single competition or a single you know, video of gaming. And so something's going on there that is very different from this you know, uh, snack or sort of tiny consumable social media component. And uh, I'd hate, I wouldn't want to speculate about what's causing which, but when you go into the e-gaming, they are finding a way to engage people for extended periods of time without interruption. So what are they doing? What is it? And I think a big part of it is authenticity. That these guys are playing and it's just them. It's not, um, it's not highly produced. It's not highly skeptical. Now, I say that, but just in the last few weeks, we've started to see some very high production value uh, e-gaming come out and, uh, and actually be on TV for the first time as opposed to just being digital. So we're looking at what they're doing. We're looking at the stories, the structure, how they're getting engaged. Uh, you know, selling out Madison Square Garden to watch people play a video game. Who knew that was ever gonna happen, right? So now, well, what are they doing? And uh, I, you know, one thing that they have an advantage of, the graphics, the visual experience of these games are extraordinary. Plus, everyone plays them, and so you, 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 know, you see the best in, in your genre of what's going on. So we're trying to do a little bit of the same thing, right? How do you engage audiences for longer periods of time? What do you do? And, and I think we're trying to bring that human experience of, uh, one, you can fly in a way with us that you can't do on your own. You can't just fly floor to floor and, and around. It's, it's a lot like the bird, right? We can, the drone goes where the bird goes. People have flown in planes and helicopters and seen the really high view of the sky going down the, the earth. But this idea of being able to fly out a window and around a tree and come back we're giving people a vicarious experience of flying that they couldn't have otherwise. Again, yeah, it sounds like the the kind of you mentioned the imagery of the the esports and the imagery that you guys have. You obviously capture fantastic uh, imagery from the cameras and and from you know, fixed cameras uh, down down the course. So uh, certainly a, a lot of a rich tableau to to, to draw from. Absolutely. Um, so you know, taking a step back and, and maybe you know talking about your background. So prior to joining Drone Racing League, you've been very involved in in Upstart. Sports. You've been part of two, effectively, sports leagues, sports competitions that have grown um, uh, very noticeably. 
tell us a, a little bit about your background and what you've done there and, and what are the lessons you've learned from those past experiences you've applied to Drone Racing League? Absolutely. So I met uh, Greg Glassman, the founder and CEO of CrossFit in 2004. And uh, I had been in the fitness industry. I'd owned a gym uh, about 15 years prior in Virginia. And the fitness industry was um, highly flawed. There was no good definition of fitness, and the the you know most gyms had to sell memberships to people they knew weren't going to going to attend. So I was very drawn to this new approach to fitness, and 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 Glassman defined fitness in a way that was um, uh, observable and practical. And so I was very drawn into that. And so uh, as I was as that started to grow, there became this this CrossFit's kind of a sport. It's a it's a workout regimen. It's a fitness regimen, but it's kind of got sports elements built into it inherently. And so after a few years, this idea of like maybe we should turn this into a formal competition. And so the CrossFit challenge was one we need to to figure out how a loosely organized sport could become something where you actually could crown a champion. And in this case, the champion also had to be the fittest on earth. So it, it, it's a sport that's layered because it's not just, you know, in basketball, for example, if your pinky toe touches the three-point line, it's a two-point shot. If you're a quarter inch behind that, it's a three-point shot, right? Is that inherently more difficult? No, it's just the rules and it just sport has rules. Well, so we needed to create a sport that has rules and that, that was uh, reasonable to play. But we also had this ulterior motive, which was actually a primary motive of proving who's the fittest on earth. So uh, one of the ways that we did that is we created a sport that did not announce its events until right before they happened. So because the idea was fitness, you had to be ready for anything. So from, from, a, from my personal development standpoint, what that meant was every single year, practically even every single event that we had, we had to reinvent the sport. We had to create events that, that hadn't happened before. We had to create scoring systems that were fair. Uh, we needed to make it so that one event didn't outweigh another in terms of the biases of the sport. And uh, I had to become incredibly sophisticated in the relationship between sport, structure, scoring, activity, and then fan engagement, trying to, I mean, Think about how difficult it is to try to explain baseball to somebody. And the rules haven't changed in many decades. Whereas uh, with this, the rules are different every single time. How do you get fans engaged when they don't know what the rules are? And you can't even tell them what the rules are going to be until they show up, basically. So uh, this required me to spend thousands and thousands of hours digging into these relationships. And uh, when I left CrossFit, I started... Grid, which is a, um, it's still in the functional fitness realm, but it was not trying to prove fitness. I could let go of all of those uh, uh, very um, significant uh, challenges of having to prove fitness and create a sport and let the fitness side go and just said, I want to create a sport that's exciting and fan oriented. And so we took, uh, you know, there are 40 teams that go to the CrossFit Games, for example. That's, that's a lot to manage, both from an organization standpoint and also from a fan standpoint. So I took that and I said, look, let's just go to the traditional sports format, which is team against team, head to head. We put them in a, a, a basketball court size um, uh, facility 
at any basketball court in the country in the world could host a grid match. Two teams going head to head. There's a red lane and a blue lane. Start and a finish. Very easy to follow. Create a scoring system that kept it engaging, um, easy to follow, and played well on TV. So then when I met Nick Horbachevsky, who's the founder and CEO of, of DRL, I had already spent so much time thinking about the relationship between rules and media and fans and the, uh, the players or the pilots in our case. And so we have spent a lot of time. Drone racing doesn't have fixed rules. We've had to invent rules for this network, borrowing from the best traditions. And this, I think, was part of your question. Uh, we don't in some ways we're reinventing the wheel in other ways there's no there's many elements that have already been well established in sport so we take the best of that and then create an engaging structure which is uh, fun and fair for the pilots as easy as possible for for fans to follow and that makes for great competition that plays well on tv in, in many respects it has to be fun to be starting from scratch right if you think about you know if, if you tried to change an old baseball rule you know why you know, why Why do we not have the DH in both leagues? It's like, well, well we've had, you know, pitchers yeah. bad for hundreds of years. Like, why is, you know, so you, you kind of think of, of the, the baggage that you with legacy sports and you, you don't have that. Can you think of any other decisions you've made that, that were kind of only possible because you were doing this in this unencumbered environment? Oh, for sure. In fact, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of decisions that are made because of that. Uh, the relationship between the pilots and the, uh, in our case, the pilots, and the, the sport and the competition and when they arrive and how they get there and, and what the relationship is, um, how we design. Uh, if you look at the most successful sports in history in, in the US, it's baseball first and then fo now football. What do they have in common? They have relatively short plays followed by downtime in which you can do some discussion analysis, drink a beer, you know, grab a chip, go to the bathroom, and you don't necessarily miss um, watching the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, for example, you can't take your eye off the screen or you might miss your goal, right? And, and so um, what we've been able to do is look at where is fan engagement best among racing sports, among non-racing sports, and how do we uh, leverage what people want to do with what we need to do with what we want to do ourselves and this sort of three-pronged dynamic and create from scratch what is uh, an ideal, hopefully, engagement process for a sport that has lots of room to grow. It's really, really exciting. So as, uh, you know, if we're interested in finding Drone Racing League, what's next? Where should we look? You know, where can we, where can we watch a race? Right now, the, we have a fair amount of content on YouTube. It's limited. We have not released um, uh, the rest of the season. We are about to announce, um, uh, knock on wood, right? Uh, we were close to announcing, I'll say it that way, uh, a distribution deal that will make it very, very easy for a large percentage of the country and, and hopefully a significant percentage of the world to be able to access this in the highest quality production possible. Uh, we also have shared a lot of our content with other distributors. And that's one of the things that's interesting. You know, you were asking questions before about business and um, distribution. And when we look at um, one of our videos from uh, the Miami event, it was a first person view of just the course, just one lap. And uh, that was on uh, 
The Verge, who have a Facebook page, and 20, over 20 million views of that right out of the gate. And so it's around, right? And so be patient a little bit because we've, we've, it's out there, but it's coming in a much, much bigger way. Exciting. Well, we will we'll definitely keep an eye out for it. And, and thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Tony Budding, Director of Media for the fast-growing Drone Racing League. Thanks for listening to this episode of the On Deck Podcast. We'll be back soon with another great guest. Until then, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think.